Okay, well, let me open us. Yeah, please, sorry, uh, just again, uh, if you're not, uh, for the online people, if you're not speaking, be preferred uh, that you mute um, your mics. Uh, and yeah, uh, otherwise, I mean, if you do have a question, and you, like I said, again, for those who just joined, feel free in the comments section to just, uh, or in the in-call messages there, or in the WhatsApp group, send through your message, or unmute yourself and, uh, you know, pop question. Um, so yeah, sorry, Mike, you can go for it. Thanks, Ricardo. Yeah. Okay, let me let me open us in prayer, and then we can we can start. Well, Father, thank you for the privilege we have of studying your word and uh, for resuming school of the Bible this year. We do ask that it would just be a wonderful time of uh, meditating on your word, understanding the big story, how it all fits together. Uh, we do just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and that you would keep us from error that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, um, everyone can see it there. So, I'm going to look at Genesis, but before that, I just want to give some background on the whole Bible and uh, how to understand it, because the, the... the aims of this course are, are, are quite a few. The one is obviously to get through the whole Bible in, in, um, in the year uh, and to see how it all fits together. Okay, so most Christians don't have a good grasp of uh, what we call the meta-narrative, the, whole big, the big story of the whole Bible, how it all fits together. Uh, there is... Does anyone know how many books there are in the, the, the Bible? 66. 66 books uh, in, the, in the whole Bible. And uh, how many in the, the Old Testament? Thirty-nine books in the Old Testament and twenty-seven in the New. Uh, over forty different human authors. Okay, so over over uh, thousands of years, forty different human authors wrote the Scriptures, and yet it is a unified story. It's not uh, you know sixty-six different stories. It is one story because. We believe that behind the human authors is the Holy Spirit, is God. God is the, the ultimate author, and so the story is all uh, united and linked together. Um, and there are different genres within the scripture, and this is really an important thing that hopefully will be a great benefit, is that you'll learn the different uh, genres of scripture. So a genre is a a, a type of literature. Um, We get uh, all different types of literature. It has to do with what what we call different literary forms. Uh, Forms are differentiated by looking at the structure, the style, the subject matter. So we get uh, things like poetry in the Bible. Uh, We get narratives, which are stories. 
most of the Bible is story, which is pretty cool, because most of us think in, in stories. We remember stories. Um, we have uh, didactic. which is teaching. Okay, so that's uh, like your epistles. When Paul writes, he, he will give teaching, you know, uh, commands as well. Don't lie, speak the truth to one another, love one another. Uh, and so a lot of teaching as well. And then we also have apocalyptic Apocalyptic is a unique genre. Uh, books like Revelation and Daniel, the Zeke parts of Ezekiel are apocalyptic. So apocalyptic means uh, revelation uh, and unveiling. And so in apocalyptic genre, we have very symbolic language, very weird language for us because it's not a genre that we're, we're that familiar with. Uh, so you have lots of symbols, lots of creatures, uh, weird creatures, you know, composite creatures, you know, the, the head of a human and this of a lion and, and that kind of thing. But don't, don't worry too much about this. We'll come back to this over and over again throughout the course, reinforcing it. Okay, so uh, within those 66 books of the Bible, the... The, the Bible is broken up into different sections. At least the Bible that we have is broken up into different sections. If you have a, a Jewish friend, uh, their, you know, their, their scriptures, an Orthodox Jew, I mean, so not, not a, a Christian Jew, a, a Jew who holds to Judaism, what we call the Old Testament is what they call their scriptures. Okay? They don't hold to the New Testament. Their, book, their Bible or their scriptures will have less books. Okay. But don't worry. It's exactly the same material. Uh, the only thing is books like First and Second Chronicles would be Chronicles. That's what they would do. And so Ezra and Nehemiah would be one book. The, the reason we have First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings is because they use scrolls to write on and uh, they would have to stop when the scroll ended and then they would start another scroll and so you got first chronicles second chronicles uh, because of the scrolls they didn't have books like we have uh, the other thing i wanted to say if, if anything is unclear at any time just ask ask don't be shy i like the interaction and so so please don't don't be shy Okay, so the breakdown of our Bible is, is into um, these sections. The first section is called the Law, or the Torah, which means law or instruction. It's a Hebrew word, Torah. It's the name of the Bible, right? Torah. Uh, Torah can refer to the whole of the Scriptures. Just give me something to clean the border. It can refer to the whole of the scriptures, but generally it refers to the first five books, which are also called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch 5. Pentateuch. Uh, so that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So for the, the, um, 
um, the Jews would call their scriptures the Tanakh. And that's from, the T is for Torah. Um, the N is for Nevi'im. And the K is for Ketuvim. So that's, that's the three components in the Old Testament as, as the, the Jews saw them, understood them. Okay? So Torah is law, the books of Moses, that's another term. First five books. The Nevi'im are your prophets. A prophet is called a Navi. So Nevi'im is the prophetic writings. And then the Ketuvim are the writings. Okay, so that's how they divided up their, their scriptures. Um, the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Within the writings, the main book is the Psalms. So you can see this just quickly. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke, Luke 24. So this is uh, after... Jesus has uh, risen from the dead and he meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus who were leaving Jerusalem. They thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but they've just seen him crucified and uh, they've lost all hope. And Jesus actually meets up with them and he talks to them and uh, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So notice he says there, Moses, which is shorthand for Torah, the law, the books of Moses and all the prophets okay so that's the Nevi'im jump over to um, verse 44 when he's speaking to the disciples then he said to them these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses the Torah and the prophets Nevi'im and the Psalms the writings, the Ketuvim, must be fulfilled. So the Jews and Jesus himself, raised in that tradition, understood the Old Testament uh, in that division. Okay. Yes. Where do you read that from? Um, uh, it's Luke 24, verse 44. Okay. Verse 44. Okay, so that's how they understand it. Uh, we... In, in I'm not you know for whatever reason have a slightly different breakup of the scriptures, but it's the same scriptures, so you don't need to worry. The order is slightly different. Uh, we end with Malachi. The Jewish Bible ends with Chronicles, actually, the book that we're going through. So Chronicles would be the last book. But the law is is the first, or Torah is the first five books, and then we have the uh, historical books. 
there's 12 of them. It's quite nice. You'll see all of them break up into 5 or 12. So we have 12 historical books. That's your, those are the books that start straight after the Pentateuch. So Joshua, Judges, uh, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Uh, the period of the, the judges and the kings. And then also after Ezra and Nehemiah, also part of the, uh, and Esther as well. Those are all historical books. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. You don't have to write it down. You, you, it, it's the order of, of the Old Testament in, in your index. Uh, then we come to what's called the wisdom literature. And there are five books in the wisdom literature. So that begins with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. That's the wisdom literature. Five books again. And uh, when we get there, we'll go into a lot of detail in all of these books and how important they are. But all of them have the theme of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That's the key to wisdom. Then we have the major prophets. Sorry, it's all skewed. Uh, there's five of them as well. Uh, so Isaiah, Jeremiah... Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the last 12 are the minor prophets. There's 12 of them. Okay, and so those are all those little books at the end of the Old Testament okay, that most, most of us don't read too much. <laughs> uh, so minor just simply means that they're, they're smaller. It's not to say that they're not important or anything like that. They are very important. Um, and that gives us our Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, we'll go through the breakdown of the New Testament. Any questions on, on that? How um, did they decide, I think, at the Council of Nicaea or something, <laughs> to order it in that way, um, to order all scriptures in that way? I'm not sure exactly what the thinking was. Um, obviously, the law, that was a given. Uh, then, you know, it makes sense, all the books that deal with the history of Israel. So those are, are the narratives of what, what happened to Israel. And then definitely the wisdom books are, are their, own, their own section. And then the prophets, the prophetic writings, um, even, even in uh, our epistles... In the New Testament, they're ordered from longest to shortest. So one could understand them also doing something similar, taking the bigger ones and putting them together. But I I mean, I, I can understand the logic. I'm not sure. I don't know enough to say this is this was the whole reason they did that. Okay. Yeah. Is it very chronological as well? No. Uh, no. Well, the historical is chronological, seeks to be. Um, so Esther is the last historical book, and that's uh, very late. Uh, Esther is after they've returned to Israel, 
they've rebuilt the temple, but there are still Jews left in in uh, Persia uh, who had stayed behind. Um, so yeah, I would say the historical books are chronological, um, but overall, no. That's why the Old Testament can be confusing because when you read the prophets, you have to try and fit them into the timeline. So you you uh, you know you have to say, okay, when is this prophet speaking? When is Isaiah speaking? Uh, is he speaking before the exile to Babylon? Is he speaking after? Which king is around? So that's a that's part of the work that you'll do to hopefully remove some confusion to say, oh, that's where Isaiah was prophesying. That's where Amos was, or um, so the the that that's again difficult. Okay, again, most Christians don't don't know how to where it all fits in. Okay, any any questions from this side, Ricardo? Uh, no questions from online, um, but guys. Okay, so let's carry on. Um, this. Okay, so that's the makeup of the Old Testament and the different genres, the different styles of literature. Um, the, the other thing that we, we want to look at is as I said, the storyline and uh, what is called biblical theology. Which is not a, not the greatest name because, you know, most people think that just means studying the Bible or all theology should be biblical, and it should. But it is just the term that we have. So you have two major types. You have systematic theology and biblical theology. So systematic theology, as the name suggests, is trying to systematize the teachings of the Bible. So it's taking the doctrines and saying, okay, what does the Bible tell us about this, this uh, topic? For example, God, or uh, angels, or sin, or uh, the Holy Spirit, or the Lord Jesus Christ, or providence, or his attributes. What does it tell us? And they will take all the verses in the Bible, and they will then try and formulate a, a statement to say, from all, all that we see in the Bible, we can say, uh, so for example, angels, if you were to go, you would say angels are created beings. They are, at least for the moment, higher than us, stronger than us. We know that we will judge angels, so for a little season we are lower than the angels, but at the moment they are higher than us. They are also eternal beings. There are fallen angels and elect angels. Fallen angels are called demons, and you know Satan is, is the head one, and we find Michael and Gabriel are, are important angels. Um, 
And, and so we can then take all that the Bible says and, and reduce it to a paragraph okay? uh, or, or a page or whatever. Uh, and that's what systematic theology does. And it's very, very important because it keeps us... Isn't that like systematic, like open to interpretation? So each person can interpret it differently and then isn't that dangerous? Or is it uh, very, so, like, yes. there's no way of stepping wrong? So, so the question is, uh, can isn't systematic theology open to uh, one's personal interpretation? To some degree, um, you you have to then be able to prove it from Scripture. Whatever you hold, you have to be able to prove from Scripture that that is correct. Okay. So on. Something that's very clear is that angels are created beings. They're not God, so they had a beginning. God created them. You know, if you're going to fight that one, then, okay, well then, what book are you reading? Okay, But then there could be other things where the Bible is less clear, and so there's more possibility for differences. Okay, um, And then it could just also be sometimes that someone has just been stubborn and just doesn't want to submit to scripture as well. So that also can, can happen. Yes? Because the Bible, do you think systematic theology became more necessary when James Howell included in God's creation the family? Because if you're a Jew and you grew up with the scriptures and those stories and patterns are sort of ingrained in your cultural and perception of like your, your psyche, basically. Yeah. Um, you sort of, it would be easier to um, know the truths of the Bible and interpret the world through them, but maybe because we are from a different culture, we sort of need uh, um, a mediating system to, to teach us the truths of the Bible, like systematic theology. Yeah, very good. So the, the question is, uh, do we need systematic theology once the the gospel sort of spread to Gentiles because for a Jewish person who's familiar with the stories, they understand and they know God through those. And so systematic theology is developed to help us Gentiles who come from different backgrounds, different ways of thinking to, uh, to understand God's word. Um, so systemat- systematic theology is propositional statements. So statements about... God, we say we say God is uh, eternal. God is a spirit. We find those those statements in the Bible. Okay, so um, I think that it's it's within within Scripture already that there is this idea that because if we say we hold to the truth, you need to be able to define the truth. But I do think that there is some influence of the the Western mind, if you could put it that way, to, to systematize um, and to, to, to try and understand uh, what the scriptures say. And it can be very boring. Okay, So that's why what I said earlier, praise the Lord that he gave us stories. He didn't give us a systematic theology. He gave us a lot of stories. But we need to interpret the stories correctly uh, and, and so this protects us from, from error. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm asking is because I'm thinking 
it would ideally be, it would be nice to have only biblical theology, right? And that would be great if we could if we didn't have other cultural assumptions that kept us from seeing the truths in the in the stories of the Bible. Don't you think, or do you think that? I think I think that within Paul, his own writings, he's already giving us systematic theology, especially Romans. So he is systematizing the gospel. So I don't think it's a a bad thing. I think it's it's a necessary thing to help us understand the stories correctly, so we don't fall into into heresy. So basically, giving us layman's terms on what it's saying. No, it's systematizing it. So what it's doing is, so for example, if you read where Jesus says something like, um, uh, if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. If I just took that, I could take it to mean, oh, okay, so we are saved by forgiving other people. See that? So we're saved by, by works. You want to go to heaven? Forgive other people. But that's not, our systematic theology protects us because we take the whole teaching of the Bible on salvation and we know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So it can't mean that. It protects us from that. Jesus is saying, uh, if you don't, if you're not able to forgive others, it means you have not yet realized the forgiveness of Christ. Does that make sense? He's not saying you're saved by forgiving people. And there's other passages like that, that if you don't have a systematic theology that protects you, you can fall into error. Um, biblical theology is... So if you, if you could think of systematic theology as a circle, so we're, we're saying, hey, what does the Bible say about angels? And we put everything in that circle, and we come up to a, some statements. Biblical theology is following the progression of um, progressive revelation. That's what we call it, progressive revelation. So the Bible didn't drop out of heaven complete. The 66 books did not just you know, fall into Moses' lap. Uh, you know, for, for ages, all that people had was the books of Moses. And then more books were added, and more books were added. And then there's a whole period of silence, and then the Gospels, and then the Epistles. You see, it's, it's progressive. Do you mean doctrines? Are you, are you saying teachings? Everything is in a, a subject eating. So the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of sin. With, with systematic theology? Yes. Yes. With biblical theology, we're saying, let's look at the progressive revelation as God's revealed. So if you went here with Moses, the first five books, if you stopped there, you wouldn't have a full understanding of the Trinity. You wouldn't have a full understanding of the coming of Christ. You would have little pointers, but not the full understanding. It's, it progresses and you get more and more revelation over time. So, biblical theology, what biblical theology does is it follows the progression of that revelation. And you can think of it as, as uh, strands of a tapestry. Okay. So, we are following this 
this uh, the strand of uh, t the temple, for example, through the Bible. We're following the strand of sacrifices through the Bible. So we find sacrifice. Where's the first time we find sacrifices? Genesis. Genesis with. Cain and Abel. Yeah, with Cain and Abel. So that's the first time we come across... Well, you could, I suppose, with God killing the, the animals. I think there's something there, but it's where people are sacrificing to God is, is Cain and Abel. But we're not really given a lot of information, are we? You know, we just told they came and brought sacrifices. Uh, and then it carries on. There's other sacrifices all the way through. And then, and then in... in um, Exodus and Leviticus, we get a whole lot of information about sacrifices, and then, um, and then we come to Christ, uh, and so it develops over time. What is the purpose of these sacrifices? What's going on? It has to do with sin, or our relationship with God, but it's all pointing us to, to Christ. So biblical theology is following the development of these doctrines over time, and if you're doing it correctly they will not contradict each other. Okay. If you're doing both of them correctly, you won't arrive at different places. So as we go through the Bible, I'm going to be drawing out themes, important themes that you want to look out for all the way through Scripture. Because they find their, all of them, you know, find their fulfillment in, in Christ. Uh, Paul says, all the promises find their amen in Jesus Christ. So, uh, everything will, will end in, in Christ as we follow these strands all the, way, all the way through. And so it's very beautiful, I think, <laughs> to see these, these themes uh, all the way through the scriptures. Okay. Any questions? Yes, sir. Would you say then that the conclusion that both of these sort of different ways of doing theology on a certain topic, they would both come to the same conclusion? They should, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, just, they're just different ways of doing it. So systematic, and from what I'm understanding, it doesn't take into um, account the context in which that scripture is being written or the time or the period in which that's being written because it's not being followed through... It, it has it, it, it's less important yes it's definitely less important um, and um, it, it, this this will give you so you wouldn't have really have a systematic theology of uh, the temple for example if you did it would say something like the temple was made out of stone and wood and all the information about the temple. Whereas biblical theology would say the development of the temple theme is, is of the Garden of Eden was a temple, which we'll look at just now. Um, there's the tent of meeting. There's the temple that Solomon builds. There's the temple that's built later after the return from exile. And then it finds its fulfillment in Jesus and in the church. So that would follow the theme of temple over 
progressive revelation or redemptive history. That's another term. Over the period of redemptive history. The history of God's salvation. So, this has to do also with what we call shadows and types. Shadows and types. So, um, a type is a model or image of a final fulfillment. Um, For example, Adam is a type of Christ. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5. So, Adam is the head of the human race, and Christ is a new head of his people. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that more. Um, yeah, yeah. The ones that are physical and flesh, and the other ones made of spiritual. Spiritual. Head of his people, the church. Yes. They're both starting something new. And that's a type. The, the Old Testament Adam is a type. The fulfillment is Christ, what is called the antitype. So antitype, anti, remember anti doesn't always mean against. It can mean in the place of. Okay. So Christ is the final, the fulfillment of, of Adam. I like, I like um, shadow as an example. So a shadow. Oh, so shadow's antitype. Uh, yeah. Shadow's antitypes. They're both referring to the same thing. It's just different ways of talking about it. So if you see, uh, you know, you're walking on the street and then you see, coming around the corner, you see a shadow, you can tell something. You can say, oh, there's a person. They have two arms, depending on, you know, on the shadow, and there's a, there's a head. You can make out certain things, but not the fullness of the person. You wouldn't be able to say, oh, the color of their hair or anything like that. Um... But you can make out there's something there and you can get some truth about what's coming. But then the reality comes. And in Scripture, the reality is Christ who has come. The shadow is the prophecy and the type is the revelation. No, no. Shadows and types are the same. It's just different ways of thinking of the same thing. So the Old Testament... um, The Old Testament... Is full of these, these images. So, so shadows and types can be people, can be um, institutions, can be actions. So, for example, uh, Old Testament kings are shadows or types of the final king, King Jesus. So, we've been looking at David. David is a shadow or a type of Jesus. Uh, No, no, no. Uh, sorry, no. The the shadow and the type are the Old Testament people, institutions, um, positions. The fulfillment of the type is the antitype, which is Jesus. So Christ is the antitype. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's the idea and the reality. Yes, the idea and then the reality. Um, did you say that Melchizedek is the type of Christ as well? Melchizedek, yes, definitely. Um, some some people even argue that it is, you know, it is the Lord Jesus actually in pre pre incarnation. I don't hold to that because 
I'm not saying it's a heresy or something. I, uh, I just think it's because Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It wouldn't make sense to me to say Jesus is a priest after himself. Um, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, so we will look at, this is a great question, so we will look at what, what are called Christophanies, appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, where he actually appears to people and interacts with people. Um, so that's also very important. That it's called again Christophanies. Christophany, an appearance of Christ. Because most Christians, or not, maybe I'll say most, many Christians don't think of Jesus when they read the Old Testament. And I just, you know, Luke 24, we just looked there and it was Jesus saying, have you not read all the prophets, Moses, the Psalms are about me. So actually, if we're reading the Old Testament as not about Jesus, and we're not seeing Jesus, that's a sub-Christian reading of isn't uh, Jesus the, spoken about in creationary? And the word yeah. became flesh. Um, the, the, that's John. Is that John? Yeah. The word became flesh and God. Yeah. So it doesn't only apply to people, also systems like the sacrificial system? Yes. Christ's final sacrifice. So and the he's shadow would be the sacrificial system as it's like to be Christ. Excellent, yeah. So, so Christ is the final sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the temple. He's the king. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. Uh, it's really beautiful. When you start to see it, the Old Testament will come alive in a, in a beautiful way. As you see, this is all Jesus. He's everywhere, actually. Um, now, let's say you're reading about a bad king. Um you're reading about a bad king and he does terrible things and you're thinking, how does this show me Jesus? Well, it shows you Jesus by contrast. Jesus is not like this. Okay. Or a false prophet. Jesus is not like this. He always speaks the truth to us. Um, so, the, these are these are all uh, how it points to Christ. Um, In the Old Testament with Moses, I just want to know if I'm understanding it properly, we they were sinning in the desert in the wilderness and then the snakes were killing them and then Moses feeds out the foal with the snake out the, of copper. The bronze serpent. Yes, bronze. And then the people have to look up to it to be healed. Yes. Is that again a type? So we have to look up to Christ. Yeah. So, so the question is the, the account of the bronze serpent that was lifted up for the children of Israel who'd been bitten by serpents and if they looked, they would be healed. Is that a type of Christ? It is, definitely. So remember, snakes are cursed. Jesus Christ is cursed. Snakes are cursed in Genesis 3 already. Jesus Christ is cursed. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And uh, Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. So it is definitely a, a type of Christ. And as they looked to the snake, they, they would find healing. And so, 
Spurgeon is actually, his conversion was through a, a preacher who simply said, look and live. He, he, the, the proper preacher didn't arrive. He, and so this old man who wasn't a preacher had to fill in. And he just said, look and live. That's all, he, he just repeated that over and he said, young man, look and live. <laughs> and uh, and he, looked, he said, look, you need to look to Christ. Because Spurgeon was trying to find out, what must I do? What must I do? He had this... Charles Spurgeon, he was a famous uh, Baptist preacher about 130, 120 years ago. That's how you say it. Yeah, because he had this awareness of his own sin. And he was trying to find relief. And he was going from church to church to church. And he ended up with this little church where the preacher didn't even arrive. And one of the deacons stood up and just said... the just repeated these words but he realized all I have to do is look it's not my works it's not God wants me to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G and then I just need to look in and trust um, yes what a question from online uh, with regards to the book of Job when was it written was it before Abraham or during the time of Moses um, so we we don't know exactly but we think it's one of the most if not the most ancient book so but certainly during the time of the patriarchs, because there's no mention of, of um, sacrifices or a temple or any of that understanding. So it's very, very ancient. And the Hebrew is very old. We do battle with that. Um, so we, we, it's probably the most ancient. Yes, yeah. So we'll look at that when we get to it. Um, Okay, so here's an example that I like to, to use for shadows and types because in the New Testament you find that in Galatians um, and even in, 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 in Romans a bit, there's a temptation to go back to the Old Covenant. And Paul is saying, are you mad? The reality has come. You know, there's the shadow and here's the reality. So a great example that I heard was, um, you know, so we can embarrass Keegan and Sage um, so if before they were married Keegan had a picture of Sage and then when they get married he said no you can stay in that room over there I'll keep this picture that would be ridiculous the reality has come Okay. so if you're going to go back to the picture the shadow or the type it's, it's insane the, Christ has come the reality has come and we're going to see that as we go through Scripture, how it all points to, to Christ. Uh, Augustine said that the, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. So he said the, the, the New Testament is hidden in the old, and then it's the, the old is revealed in the new. So Christ is there. The Israelites missed him. They didn't. They didn't see him, uh, and so they they are rebuked. Jesus rebukes them. He always says, "Have you not read? Have you not read?" Yes. So who do they think is coming, and when? Yeah, so Orthodox, Orthodox Jews still think there is a Messiah coming. Um, and Paul 
Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, about there's a hardening that has come upon Israel. And it is actually a blessing for us so that we can be grafted in, unless you unless you Jewish had it. But so as a Gentile we can be grafted in um, because of their hardness. They were cut off. So we can be grafted in. Um, but it's the teaching of scripture that unless God changes our hearts, none of us will ever believe. It doesn't matter how much light we're given, we are by nature we hate God. And so the Lord has to has to change our hearts. 